Hey guys, what's going on there? And welcome back to the Side Monkey Podcast. We we're coming off a an all time high episode. It was yeah. actually episode two, but it was probably probably will be go down high so far. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> and probably will go down as one of the best episodes ever on Side Monkey. We learned all about scrubs. Like six thousand of six. Yeah, of six thousand. Okay, yeah, absolutely. That's number. That's gonna be number one. Yeah, I think. Yeah, heart stickers. <laughs> Heart and chocolate and vanilla, baby sheep and they were side babies monkey. always. I didn't tell you we did eat one. <laughs> <laughs> what? You okay, how do you leave? How do you I'm leave so that sorry. out? That you so were you didn't ask. <laughs> you, did, you, did. you were once. Riding little baby chocolate and vanilla, and then you okay. ate them. Okay, we didn't eat chocolate or vanilla. We ate their baby. Oh my! <laughs> it gets worse. It gets worse. What <laughs> kind of sick show is this? We're talking about personal growth and development, and mindful, and and health and wellness. And here we are eating baby sheep. <laughs> uh, they're lambs, and lambs are good for you. Lamb is good. Lamb yeah. is good. Wow. Yeah. It- their baby's name was Almond, and we ate her. <laughs> I'm so sorry. And this is... Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to Outside Monkey Podcast, where we're going to talk about... Uh, not I mean, eating sheep. Not eating your pets. <laughs> Poor Cooper and Caesar. Don't oh. worry, guys. If you're listening, we're not going to come home and cook you. Wow, that escalated quickly. Yeah, sorry. Holy smokies. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome back there, guys. We did not talk at all about eating our pets. Yep, and we don't need to. <laughs> all you pets out there, you're safe. This is not what this episode this is, is not about. at all. Wow, that was a, oh just goodness. a crazy way to get into the... I mean... Yeah, threw it, it right at the wall. Yeah. <laughs> I wow. didn't want that in my episode. I wanted to save it for yours. <laughs> Yes, uh, and and that was just like, but I don't think we we should just drop mic drop right there. Yeah, episode over. We'll see you guys next week. Yep. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, but last week we did have a good episode, and uh, amidst all of our joking and and pet eating that we're discussing <laughs> right now, we did have uh, quite an in depth breakdown on the life uh, of of Amanda and just the. Some of it, apparently. Some of it, yeah. You left some things out. I mean, I can't wait to hear on the next episodes what you omitted from there. But uh, it was it was real. It was deep, um, and and I think there's a lot in there for so many people, men and women uh, included, just on on life, on overcoming obstacles, and and then how uh, you've got to to where you are today. So yeah, thanks. I do again uh, appreciate your. I thought it was honesty, but apparently I'm learning that there was a little bit more to the story. But I do appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Keep and, them coming back for more, yeah, right? Yes. Just throw in the ah, I yeah, see. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Lambits. That's what we we'll call them. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> oh, no. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't <laughs> say stuff like that. That's how you will learn more about Amanda. Yeah. <laughs> you never know. Yes. <laughs> keep, your, keep your sheep and, and lamb locked up, oh, please. Yeah. Anyways, today we are going to learn all about Matt and what brought him to who he is today. I'm really actually excited about this because I don't know some of this stuff yet. Um, so yeah, are you excited? Um, Did you eat lamb pets ever? Well, no. The, so <laughs> I, I, I have I have never in yeah. my life eaten uh, eaten a pet. 
No, oh, that's, that's good. just we're gonna we're gonna put that out there. I've done some shit, right? Okay, yeah. But that's I what learn about. But I have not, uh, and I've only had like if you're talking pets, like I've only had two, and then I still have them: Cooper and Caesar. That's it, ever. Ever, yeah. Okay. My parents, we they didn't allow pets. I should say this: Mac was my parents' dog who passed away uh, a couple years ago. But in in the story behind that is like my dad's buddy had you know some pups and he brings home this this little puppy like I don't know it could have been four weeks Aww. it's like oh yeah Mike said we'll bring him home for the weekend like what yeah that's too soon who does that I mean it might have been it might have been eight weeks but I don't know yeah. like you're not gonna bring this cute adorable little puppy home and be for like oh yeah and we're gonna give him back after that right he knew what he was doing right and so finally we were all grown up I think my brother. I don't know how old he was, but anyway, so, um, yeah, Cooper Caesar, you guys are safe. Um, I'm not going to eat you. Don't bring them to Amanda's house. And don't bring them to Amanda's. I don't know (laughs) how, if anyone should eat dog, but anyway. No, I don't think so. No. God. Anyway. Anyway. Maybe we, at that point. So, anyways. So, anyways, we should take a break and prepare (laughs) for the rest of the interview. Um, So, yeah, we will take a break now. And we'll be back. Yeah, all right. We are at. That was impressive. Sorry. <laughs> no, that was great. I thought that, that was awesome. I don't know that it gets any better than that. Yep. Now, do you want me to go back and cut? Uh, I can. I'm, I'm not going to put that part in there about crazy pants. Oh yeah, don't. <laughs> no, I won't. I won't. It was at the bottom of the three minute mark, so we're good. I'll, it won't be in there. Okay. Yeah. Please don't. No, I'm not trying to create problems for you. It would be funny, Jesus. but it's not. Yeah. Now, and in, then. In <laughs> episode three intro, baby lamb. <laughs> I'm putting baby lamb because that was awesome. And we're going to go right here. We're going to export That's that. That's totally how our conversations go, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you know it, uh, <laughs> the ones that I was writing on... We ate them. Not really. We ate their babies. Get the fuck out of here. You don't. You don't say. That's not frowned upon. In reality, like that's just. No, that's you a, eat lamb. That's, if you yeah, live on a farm, I, I that's eat what lamb. Happened. My family was Greek. We eat lamb. See, um, so you eat in someone's. Someone's almond. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't very good. I I don't know that I would name, uh, the pet because then well, I'm like, I didn't I'm like, know I was going to be eating it when I named it. Like, I went out in the barn one day, there was a baby lamb laying there, and it was going, meep, 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 and then all of a sudden, two years later, (laughs) meep, meep was sitting on my plate, and you don't want to eat it two years later, then it is a sheep, and then it's like eating meat gum, and you're sitting at the table. Oh, yeah. Well, Amanda, why haven't you swallowed that yet? Because I'm still freaking chewing (laughs) it an hour later. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. So, anyways. So, so, anyway, guys, back, and we're back here. We didn't go too far. No, we're still here. We're still here, and I guess okay. I'll let you take this yeah, away. Yeah, it's my turn to talk to you. Damn. Are you ready? Okay. 
So tell me your deepest, darkest secrets. No. Not, well, no. not yet. One, not yet. One, Let's... I never slaughtered any baby, baby okay. lambs. By the way, I didn't kill the sheep. I okay. don't want uh, anyone <laughs> out there thinking that here goes Amanda with her sledgehammer. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a terrible way to kill a yeah. sheep, I oh think. Oh, my goodness. A sledgehammer. I'm trying to think. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> so anyways. All right. So we all, again, we start when we're little. Mm-hmm. Developing who we are. and I've never gotten that much bigger, just so our <laughs> listeners yeah, out there know. Just so everyone knows, we've got him in a booster, <laughs> and so he can sit up to his mic, and a couple telephone books. And for those millennials out there who don't know what that <laughs> is, there used to be these books that you would look up phone numbers in, not in your iPhone, uh, and you'd have to flip the pages, okay? So there's anyways, a few of them. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple. Uh, they're the big ones with the yellow pages. Why don't you start by telling me, like, where you grew up? Yeah. Um, I grew up in the city of Buffalo, a neighborhood called Lovejoy. Oh, yeah. My parents had, my sister and I are Irish twins. Oh. My, we're 11 months, we're the same age for five days. Okay. Who's older? She is. Okay. Um, and my parents had my sister and I before they were 19. Oh, Okay. Yeah, we thought their anniversary was uh, a year later because they always told us it was. Yeah. And we realized it wasn't. It was in March 29th, but 1980, and my sister was born in 1980. So. Okay. How did you find out? Uh, it was a few years back. It, it was Yeah, literally a few. I, I don't think we knew this for too long, but I would say we probably have known for at least five years. My timetables could be off, but sure. we didn't know that. All the time. So just n- now we're finally on the right year of the, of their anniversary. As adults, I guess we can handle it. I don't know. We, like we couldn't have before. But um, so, yeah, we grew up uh, in the city uh, of Buffalo. It was uh, it was a great neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Much different from, obviously, from you and where you grew up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, the neighborhood. part were your neighbors? Uh, they're, they're city. They're right there. Like, yeah. here's the fence, and there they are. Like, we're mm-hmm. looking over the fence, talking to each other. And, sure. Um, and we actually grew up in uh, the way that was it was is my grandfather built houses, uh, Tonette Homes. He built the houses, and so he actually built the house ninety two Schiller, and then the apartment next door uh, is where we grew up. So obviously they didn't have a lot, they didn't have much at eighteen. Literally, mm-hmm. part of me just got out of high school, or still in for that matter, and uh, they lived and we lived in the apartment next door to them. Okay. Uh, we moved throughout the apartments. Uh, there were three of them, and finally, until we were about 12, we lived in the front one, which had a few, uh, few bedrooms in there. But we, it, was, it was a great, my, the goal is, is to end up writing a book about my childhood years mm-hmm. because it was uh, the best of times. I mean, we mm-hmm. could go, you know, it was literally like the streetlights had to come on, you can go there. I mean, the, the, everyone's parents knew who you were if you got into trouble, like it would make its way around, mm-hmm. um, and... You know, we just spent a lot of time playing sports and, and outside and, and that sort of thing. So childhood there was good. It was definitely the city. It was a time when, when Lovejoy was kind of probably going. Uh, it wasn't, you know, very wealthy. Uh, my mm-hmm. parents, we grew up on, you know, and I say this when I would do, um, you know, I would speak to, to youth and, and things like that with refuse to lose mentality that, that I've adopted. Um you know, my parents didn't come from anything. At 18, they were both, uh, we were on public assistance. My mother was working and going to school. My father was working, uh, hustling to do whatever he could. 
Um, both went to school, got some sort of degree mm-hmm. while raising two of us. And the beautiful thing is that my grandmother was uh, a traditional, you know, she, my grandfather built the homes and she did a lot of paperwork and she did some other things. But, you know, we had my, my grandmother who helped raise us yeah. while they were working and trying to make ends meet. And obviously uh, they got off, you know, public assistance. But we were never uh, extremely wealthy. And, you know, there, there are two stories that I share when I would speak that, that happened that kind of are stories that define kind of who I am. And, and the one was, I mean, who knows, maybe you had this in mind and I don't know, but I'll, Go ahead. We'll, we'll, we'll talk yeah. about him. So as uh, growing up, we would have, we had just tons of, of, as far as I can remember, Bill's parties and things like that. Yeah. And um, Andre Reed was, you know, my favorite player um, from the time he was drafted. For some reason, it was just who I liked. And at one point, I want to say maybe kindergarten or first grade or one of those, I wanted, it's probably right around there, I wanted an Andre Reed, you know, football jersey. And my parents couldn't afford that. You know, they just, you know, that wasn't what we were able to do and other kids that might might have been able to have them and, and things like that. And I don't remember necessarily being so distraught about it, but uh, to to make me happy and, and to, to do what my mother could, she got a white Hanes t-shirt and wrote and made an Andre Reed jersey uh, with permanent marker, uh, oh, the number 83 yeah. and Andre Reed on there. Yeah. And... That, uh, so fast forward 30, literally 30 years later, a few years ago for Christmas, my mother, uh, my parents had gotten me an actual Andre Reed jersey. And I tell that story to remind people that no matter what, you've got to have that refuse to lose mentality. Like at one point we were on, you know, my parents were, were not ashamed to say it, you know, mm-hmm. that's what they had to do. Um, they were young kids. I mean, even when we were four or five years old, they were still 23, 24 years old. Right. Um, raising two kids, going to school, getting degrees, mm-hmm. and and to then like literally brought tears to my you know to my eyes that Christmas of you know one how far and, and what they were willing to do for me. Um, and so I'll, I'll literally when I'm when I've gone on stage to do this, I've had that little still have it the the yeah. Haynes T-shirt. So um, just perseverance and, and that refuse to lose mentality. And then the other is I was an athlete. My father. Uh, would take me to my hockey games, and it was brutal to come off the ice too, because there's always no matter how good I did, there was always something that I did wrong. But it was teaching me the lessons. And there was one time in particular when I was probably somewhere between the ages of ten and twelve, uh, so which would have been a peewee at that time or squirt. And you know, I I was pretty good. I was I was shifty. I was one of the quickest guys out there. Mm-hmm. And there was one time in particular when I was there was a, a skirmish along the boards and. You know, my, uh, you know, I was waiting for the puck to come out so I can get the puck and then right. and then go. And I didn't end up getting it, and somebody else ended up picking it up. And my father just had brought that up on the way home, and I really wasn't sure. I'm like, I didn't necessarily know what you're talking about. It wasn't a, a very, wasn't a big deal, I didn't think. Yeah. And I said, yeah, I remember it. He's like, well, that puck was sitting there. He's like, yeah, I remember that that puck's not going to come to you. If you want the puck, you literally have to go and get it. Yeah. And that just applies to life, just kind of like how you had talked about last week about what you, how you operate. Mm-hmm. And you have to if there's, you know, his, the lesson was that if you want something in life, you're, you've got to go and get it. You can't Absolutely. wait for it to come to you. So those were two life lessons that I got from, from my parents. But our lives were, you know, inner city. We had a bunch of friends. Um, I literally walked down the street. Funny story, I'll tell you this. I am, I am a pre-K dropout. Yikes! Yeah, yeah. How are you able to do this? Uh, I have no get it mentality. Really, it pushes. So through. my sister was in kindergarten. 
right? And I just didn't like, it was first going into pre-K. And so we lived on the corner, and right midway down the block was the church and the school that we went to. Yeah. And so uh, my mom would walk us, you know, from the corner to yeah. the church when we were little kids. And, mm-hmm. you know, I remember, like, not liking it, and I don't remember why, but my Aunt Mickey, uh, I remember being at their house, we used, my my. Grandma had a bunch of siblings. Sure. And we went there, and I remember my aunt, and my aunt Mickey specifically telling me, Matthew, if you don't want to, you don't have to go to, you don't have to go to pre-K. I'm like, what? And this is what? So pre-K three or four? Yeah. Four, I'm assuming. Yeah, four. I'm four years old, and they get this information, and she's like, all you got to do is just cry your way out of it. You go there, you know, and you cry. That's and what your aunt tells you? My aunt Mickey told me this. Yeah. And sure as shit, that's what I did. And I got pulled right out of pre-K. And I remember you're the my second s- kid. Oh, okay, that's <laughs> no. why. It's because you're the second kid. No one oh, yeah. the second kids. It's kind of, <laughs> this is why. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I'm a first kid. Oh, my yeah. sister would have done the same stuff. I stopped swearing for Lent. My sister would have done the <laughs> same thing. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And I'm so talk to your sister about this. I uh, and I would mm-hmm. be. I remember one time in particular, like I was in the bathroom for some reason. She had to go to school, and I was just like pointing and like laughing, like I don't have to go to school. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. Got it. But, yeah, so went yeah, to... I got grow- your number on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I've, I think I've come on. I've done all right, I guess. I guess so. Okay. Yeah, what else? All right. Well, now that I know that about you. Okay. <laughs> You're so a I, Yeah, I may have eaten a sheep, but I didn't drop out of pre-K. <laughs> so... Touche. We have a, a lot of space to go from there. All right. So, were you and your sister close growing up? Oh, yeah. We were... So close. I mean, aside from being twins, I mean, we were, the pictures of us, I mean, growing up, I I just, we were everything. We played together. We went outside. You know, we did, you know, everything that the brother and sister could could do um, together. Funny story about this is how, I don't know, remember the age, but my sister was, you know, walking down the street. And old enough that she had maybe seven or eight, maybe, where she was just starting to discover, not boys, but, you know, a crush on, like, an older, and there was the older kid yeah. down the street. And she was walking with her stroller with the little baby inside, and one walking alongside her, and this yeah. is what we could do in, in the neighborhood we grew up in. And she saw him and didn't want to be seen with the stroller and the baby, so, like, darts the other way, and then here I am, stuck with this baby and stroller, and, like, she just, like, beelines it out of there because she didn't want us, so she left me. But we were incredibly close uh, all throughout high school, um, and I did my best to, to be there That's awesome. throughout those years. So we were definitely very close. Was she the closest one that you were to in growing up, or was there someone else were you closest to in your family in terms, or friends? In family, no. She was definitely the one I was close to for the most part. And then my cousin Drew and I became close uh, we were close a couple years, uh, a year apart in age, uh, but it was my dad's sister, so he's my cousin, and, and we were in the same things, man. I remember gr- sleeping over his house. Um, I remember for a little bit there, I was like, every time I would sleep over, I would like call home in the middle of the night to go home because... Scared? I was scared. Yeah. And... Well, if you would have graduated preschool, <laughs> then you probably would have gotten those skills, but Damn. that's okay. But that's all right. That's all right. I ended up uh, overcoming that, but we would, you know, I would just remember... The, the GI, he always had the, all the toys, man. Always had the coolest ones. G.I. Joe's, Dick Tracy guys, uh, He-Man, uh, Ghostbusters. I remember watching, like, growing up watching those movies. And my mm-hmm. sister would sleep over, too. We'd all sleep over. Yeah. So the three of us really were, were close growing up. Still and, close? 
we we are not probably as close. I mean, it's tough to emulate that as you Absolutely. get older. You don't still that sleep over. We don't have sleepovers now. Okay. Um, but my grandmother. I mean, we can in the neighborhood go to any. My grandmother lived down the one. My my one grandmother. My dad's. My mom's parents lived right next door, and then down uh, the street on so in the intersection on that one street was my other my my dad's parents. And they lived right across the street from another school, St. Agnes, where my cousin Drew went. And so we would, when we weren't at my one grandma's, we were at my other grandma's, mm-hmm. and um, very close with my cousins growing up. Awesome. And then, like, did you? At what point did you start aligning more with your friends? And then, who were your best friends? And so, growing up, we went that that school that was down the street was uh, St. Andrew, or no, I'm sorry, St. Francis of Assisi, and that ended up closing when we were in. I think it was first grade that I ended up, first or third, I can't remember, that it ended up closing. Mm-hmm. And then we had to go to St. Andrew, which is in the village of Sloan, so it wasn't that far off. But there were the two schools, St. Andrew and, or St. Francis and then St. Agnes. And But all of us kids grew up together. So there was like a click of, you know, it was me, my, my buddy, uh, Gayton, who ended up, turns out to be my best friend for the vast majority of my life and still, close, you know, friends with today. Um, Key Sonowski, Alex Belowski, Nick Bevlock, um, I know, uh, Louis Bielli, uh, there were just a number of us that were just, we were all close, we played, we would go to my, my, my buddy Gaten's and we'd play football in his backyard, we'd play t-ball, Anthony Ferraro, who's no longer with us, um, pouring the coffee out right now. Yeah, pour that. We yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> we're pouring the the golfer aid out for yeah. him. Um, but we were close. We played, you know, we played football. We played, you know, baseball. Mm-hmm. East Lovejoy baseball was the little league that we played in, and that's I think where we became uh, the closest. And those were just some of the best years, literally, of of our life. We were still innocent, and mm-hmm. um, it's what we did. We played baseball. We played sports. We hung out with our friends. We traded cards. Um, we went to the three M all the card shows and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can you describe a defining moment in your childhood or in that transition to the, your teenage years? Um, I, I do remember, I think, so a defining moment, if you will. I remember there's a number of them, but from one point, I mean, we grew up in the city of Buffalo, and in there, you know, there was, you know, hanging out in the street corners, guys rolling dice. I mean, we wanted, you know, to be part of that, and it wasn't like gang, you know, as much, but there was a lot of that. It was at one point an Italian and Polish neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. There was very much, uh, still, if you will, segregation. It was all white. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the way it was. And, you know, the older guys were hanging out in the street corners and, and you know, drinking 40s and drinks and, and everything that you would see and, yeah. and kind of that. And I remember, you know, uh, at one point, um, you know, I was close with another a family friend who, you know, his family was very religious and him and I were pretty close as well. And there was one point where I just remembered, um, you know, coming across some, some marijuana mm-hmm. and... You know, calling my buddy up and, and, and saying, you know, look, I got this. And, you know, just thinking about selling it. So was that a defining moment? That was probably where a little bit of my childhood shifted mm-hmm. um, to that. But, you know, all the while growing up, that's... Kind of what you were exposed to? Yeah, we were exposed to that with the older kids. And so, you know, drinking and, and, and you know, doing those things. You know, playing basketball, shooting dice, 
playing cards, playing for money, you know, getting in fights. That was what we did. And yeah. um, so around that time, that was probably, I don't know if it would say it was a defining moment, but definitely where we went from loss of innocence, if you will. Yeah. And that defined me for a good, a good stretch. Yeah. Do you want to talk about like what that led to? Yeah, that was the start of it. I mean, I first got drunk probably 10 years old uh, at my buddy's house. You know, we broke in. You know, I was you know, 10, 11, right around that age. I was still living in Lovejoy, so I was able to walk home. I remember my sister having to help me up the stairs uh, to go up to our apartment. And we just, you know, we got into some black velvet, you know, and his you know, parents, yeah, liquor cabinet. We didn't know what anything was. I still don't think I've ever had black oh, velvet, it's by terrible. the way. <laughs> terrible. And... Um, that was kind of the first time, and from then, I remember we would go up to the Raz, and there was this place uh, that separated, like, the city of Lovejoy into the village of Salone, and it, it was literally, you could see the separation, and there was, you know, this place called the, the Reservoir, where we would go up, and we'd be able to smoke cigs, and I would steal them from my grandmother, and my buddy Gaten would steal them from his grandmother's, and we'd go up there, and our one buddy didn't do anything, he was the lookout, and... Um, that would have been me. Yeah, that would have been you. <laughs> that, oh, absolutely. And, like, that was what we, I don't even think we were inhaling. We thought we were cool, you know, because that's what the older guys were doing. And, and that's, um, you know, and so that just, things just gradually progressed. And I, we moved out of the city when I was 12. And so moving out of the city, so if you want to say a tw defining moment was probably somewhere around then where I had to figure out where I just, even in the circle, you know, that I, that I was in. As a kid growing up, I was the smallest kid, always was. First grade, uh, you know, I got in trouble. I threw a chair, uh, you know, those hard plastic chairs at a kid because he was making fun of me. Um, and even, like, on the bus, like, some of the guys I mentioned that, you know, my voice and it was something that I was insecure about. And even though we were, you know, buddies and we hung out, you know, there was, you know, jokes. And I was literally seemed to be the butt of the jokes. Okay. And so, you know, I didn't. You know, it definitely, looking back now, helped to shape, you know, the way I view myself and the things I was insecure about. But, you know, we always, we were kind of a crew. And, you know, once we left, I mean, even though we went from Buffalo Chituaga, it was like, at that age, 12, it was like a world away. Mm -hmm. You know, I, was, I wasn't going to be able to ride my bike to my buddy's house anymore. I wasn't going to be able to ride uh, over and hang out with the guys. And I definitely separated for a couple years um, from them mm -hmm. and, you know, was stuck with trying to figure out who I was. Luckily I played hockey and had, you know, sports that I could get molded or find friends and become, you know, part of it. But it, you know, it lost that identity. It was at that point literally where, you know, I really wasn't sure who I was. And there was probably that age where, you know, some things were, were going on and your body's changing and you're changing and thoughts of just not wanting to be around anymore. You know, and that was literally probably the first time that that ever crossed my mind. Um, and just the struggle to identify with who I was. You know, I was lost. I didn't, you know, get on the bus with all these kids. And me and my sister were the only people. We didn't know anyone. Yeah. Um, and here I was, you know, she was, you know, just going to be 13. I was 11, going to be 12. Mm -hmm. And not knowing who I was. And then having to go into high school, we graduated from that grammar school, and I still had my buddies, and I remember getting a limo, a limo for our, you know, eighth grade graduation, and sure. and then moving into high school and just knew, didn't know anyone. Right. So, from last week to this week, it sounds like we defined ourselves very differently from that transition. Um, when we were teenagers, um, what would you tell a parent who's, you know, has a child out there who's struggling with? 
identifying themselves or defining themselves and in that struggle with other people who are, you know, pushing themselves or their own definitions on that child or bullying, what would you, what advice would you give? It's tough because I'm not, I'm not a parent, not yet, but, um, based on your perspective with when I would, when I would talk to, anytime I would go to schools and speak to the kids and to remember that it's very important to love who you are Mm -hmm. and be okay with exactly who you are. And, and just that story that, that I that we talked about last week with that with the book from Don Miguel Ruiz and now this took me a while to get to this point and even still in my thirties be comfortable with the fact that this is who I am mm-hmm. you know I couldn't change that embrace who you are yeah and it's very how do you tell that to a kid who's you know again when you go to high school and the middle schools middle middle schoolers are bigger than you are sure. you know. Um, how do you, for me, I was able to find it, my, my identity and, and fitness and, right. and starting and working out. So yeah. I, I don't know that I have the, the, the best answer that would resonate with someone who's going through that, you know, other than like I've gone through it, I understand the feeling, you know, I wish there was somebody that, that came to my school and, and, and talked about the fact of it's okay to be different, you know, it's okay to be, uh, not like everyone else, mm-hmm. and embracing your difference because that's what makes us unique. That's what makes us individuals. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we'd all be walking around like sheep, if you will, <laughs> uh, looking exactly the same, right, doing yeah. exactly the same thing. I don't know that, that that helps a young kid out there and that just you're not alone. Um, and the thing that looking back at all those that did those things um, and where I'm at now in life, Mm-hmm. Not to to put things on a comparison or pedestal, like you know, I'm I'm finally at 38 years old, okay with who I am in in every way, shape, and form. Mm-hmm. But so I I don't know that that that's you know how do you uh, when you when someone's going through that trying to figure out who they are, like you were completely okay with like, all right, see you later. Like you know the opinions of others don't let that define you. Mm-hmm. How do you view yourself? Right. Because at the end of the day, the quote I had up there: love yourself. Because you're going to spend the rest of your life with yourself. The people that you're encountering right now, in one year, five years, ten years, they're not going to matter at all. Absolutely. And they're not going to be, they'll look back, and those people that might have hurt you, that might have said things, will look back. One, they won't even remember that they did it. No. And, the, and two, no uh, they'll wish that they didn't. Yeah. And so if that's the one thing is to, to remember that, to think and ask yourself, you know, will this matter? You know, don't let others define you. What is, I guess, you know, define yourself. Mm-hmm. You've got to be, you've got to live in that skin forever. Right. Well, and I just want to, again, validate the words that you said, put value on that. And I, you said, you know, I don't know if this has any value or meaning. Because they're your words and they mean something to you, they have value. So just put that back out there. Yeah. Because they mean something to you right now. So if they mean something to you, they have value. Yeah. It's just, how does that, how would that person... How how would that resonate with someone else? I don't know. How it lands. And if you're putting it out there, it's going to depend on how that listener is perceiving it. So And what they're ready to hear. Absolutely. And 
how anyone is perceiving this podcast <laughs> right now. If you're ready to hear it, if you're ready to hear it's that there. some people eat their pets, I mean, <laughs> yeah. that's that's what we're putting out there. So Absolutely. yes, but the value is in the words, and if there's meaning behind it and authenticity behind it, then then that's that's, that's all you can do. Yeah. So I value the words Thanks. that you're putting out there. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Um, so you thought you were on a path, I'm sure, in life, and we all do. We all think, like, this is where I'm going, this is what I'm doing, and this is the reason why. And then all of a sudden, you're on a different path. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And then at what point you were like, oh, my gosh, this is not where I expected to be, yeah. and what changed that? Yeah, and so the the progression throughout high school was I was very heavily involved in athletics, uh, it, it, athletics, sports, but it was also that. I mean, I started selling, you know, drugs probably around 14, got into some heavier selling of drugs. Uh, we started selling ecstasy around 16, 17 years old, starting using, uh, ecstasy heavily, um, through all throughout college, uh, going on to college, you know, one of my nicknames was the pharmacist. I can get anything that you needed uh, at any time. I went into college. I didn't know anyone. Okay. But we found, I found and met uh, a group of group of guys that they were just a great time. We had a, a ton of fun. Um, and they're all doing very well. You know, all doing very well for themselves now at this point uh, in life. In fact, a good buddy of mine just had his first kid. Uh, my friend that I grew up with uh, is, is about to have his first one. So, you know, people are doing well. Some already have them. Um, but throughout there, and I, I never stopped using. So I was always, I was never, quote, unquote, an addict. I smoked pot almost every single day from high school right on through mm-hmm. into up until my 30s. Yeah. Uh, that was just kind of, you know, part was part of my fabric of, of growing up. Yeah. And um, I used... Uh, I had developed a some issues internally in my stomach, GERD and, and acid reflux and some things at 18, probably because of the alcohol uh, that we were using and the drugs that we were doing. Yeah. And, you know, I had a number of instances where, you know, we obviously had way too much. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of who we, it's what I define as like who we were. This is who we are. This is, you know, anytime there was a party, we had drugs. You know, looking back at pictures, it's like, man, it's tough to find one where I wasn't on something. Yeah. And I never defined it as being an addict, you know, because we didn't use every single day. I mean, and we didn't view pot as it being a problem, right? Yeah. That wasn't a drug. That was just smoking pot. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other drugs we did, you know, weekends or, you know, when you're in college and you're coming back from college, it's like life was a party. Life was literally a party, and then I got out of school, and you think that, like, you'll just slow down, right, or, or life will happen. I mean, you, you think the idea was we're going to get out of college, I'm going to have, you know, a house with the white picket fence, and we'll start having kids, and, and life will be gravy, and it just doesn't, didn't work out that way. It doesn't work out that way. I would say that, you know, there were a number of things. I was in jeopardy of not graduating. Uh, because I would start with a number of credits. I didn't like something. I would drop a, I would drop a class, and then okay. before you know it, I get a, a, a letter like, hey, you're not on pace to graduate in four years. I'm like, fuck this. I'm like, I am not staying here. All my friends are going to be graduating. So I stayed that that summer. I stayed up at school, took the courses I needed to going into my senior year, mm-hmm. had the best grade point average I had you know, all throughout college. And uh, you know, I remember... You know, I'll give you an idea, like commencement, like walking in for our graduation. You know, I rolled up a couple of dubes so that, you know, me and my buddies can smoke in the line 
for commencement going into our graduation ceremony, aye, aye, aye. walking on the stage. Like, that was... And I, I feel like I, your mom. Like, why would you do that? <laughs> that's who I was. I mean, I, the, the week before leading into, they had told me that I wasn't going to be able to, to graduate there a couple weeks before. It was Fred Fest, I remember. I'd, I'd been up for days. And I remember just like getting... Like, legitimately days. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. And we were... Uh, there was like an an envelope saying that I didn't have enough credits because I had too many business credits and not enough electives. So I had enough, more than enough credits to graduate, but they weren't electives. And I remember being floored, fried out of my mind, completely off the handle, going to my business, you know, advisors, chairpersons, you know, desk, pounding on, you know, the door, trying to get some answers at, I don't know what time it was. And luckily nobody was there because they'll probably would have threw me out of school uh, if they did. And uh, I remember it was Dr. Moj was short for his name, and you know, that never happened. But that, that was kind of the college years were, were fun, I guess to say the least, a blur. And got out of school, got a degree in business finance, was with Merrill Lynch uh, as an internship, got a job with Mass Mutual. Um, and I don't know if I'm answering questions or what the initial question was. So, but like... You were picturing a life path that you oh, were yeah. going to be on, okay. and then at some point you woke up and you're like, is this the path that I thought I was going to be on? And at 25, okay. and I, I, I had... Like birthday, two, what happened? I had two DWIs in eight months. Okay. And was looking at a, G, uh, a year in jail because of the proximity, because they were so close together. Yeah. That they said that that was like a mandatory year in jail. And the attorney that I had was like... You know, you're looking at at least weekends. It's the best I can do. I'm thinking weekends. Like, you know, I couldn't. I was just starting. Things were starting to take off um, as a, as a financial consultant. Mm-hmm. I was getting into these these circles that of people that were doing very well for themselves mm-hmm. uh, in that field. Yeah. And then that all gets thrown out the window because you know when I got pulled over the first time, uh, I had pot I had cocaine the cocaine wasn't enough for them to to really write up so they just wrote me up for they no they wrote me up for possession those ended up getting dropped um and then the second one was I was I don't remember being in a motor vehicle that's scary I had we had gotten home from one place and I had taken you know some uh, I'd always when I was whenever I was on uppers I couldn't sleep like people would just be able to go to sleep and I couldn't and I would literally take any downers I could to try and shut it down and then, you know, a few hours after we had gotten home from the bars, I am, you know, in the back of a cop car. No idea what's going on. Wow. That's really scary. And at that point, it was like I didn't know where I was going. Okay. So you wake up from your life mm-hmm. and decide, I've got to change things. What happens? What do you do? I didn't know. I I'd, uh, packed my bags. I was going to just go to California and my mom had called my friend up and it's just like you gotta get over here he's talking crazy and I was and that was just that was my my MO like fight or flight okay I'm out of here yeah. this is it I gotta go and I knew I had to get away from something I didn't know what yeah and and really it was getting away f- getting closer to myself but also getting away from the version that I thought of myself yeah. and and so my friends the place where I worked in college my best friend uh, his family business you know I needed a place to go because I didn't have a license. I lost my license for two years. Mm-hmm. The car that I had bought, my sister, 18-year-old sister, was driving around mm-hmm. uh, in the car that I was paying for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went back to work for their family business. It's called Camillo Sloan Soup Market, probably one of the best uh, delicatessens around. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, I just started out just doing like I was a little deli clerk and gradually over over the years, you know, I'd worked, learned the business from, you know, my best friend's father, who's, you know, a remarkable businessman and the money was good and I just kept moving up, moving up, getting promoted, getting promoted. And before you know it, you know, I am, you know, kind of, you know, behind the, the owner's son who was my good friend, you know, the third in command or, you know, basically running every, all aspects of the business, you know, and learned a great deal and was doing very well for myself, but then found myself still doing the things that I never got away from. The more money I made, the more money I was able to spend on yeah. that, you know, and I never really, I mean, things were good. I had a good amount of, you know, retirement, especially for that age. I mean, things were doing well. I had and what everyone would seem to be, would seem to think, you know, your your late twenties, uh, even you know, going into the thirties, you've got you know a very well paying job, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, you know they had expressed an interest in possibly you know me having some part of the business because they trusted me. I mean, I was you sure. know we had grown up together, and I knew the business and valued it and loved it, and and but I also knew that in the back of my head it was never what I wanted to do. There's always things that I wanted to do with my life that I was afraid to do. Yeah. But I was doing so well. I was making such good money, and um, the hours were tough. Holidays were tough because that's that was the nature Sounds of the business. Crazy. That's yeah. when it's craziest. Yeah. And but for me, it was just never getting away from the drugs. You know, so it was weekends right. were the same. The same vacations, five days, no sleep, all drugs. Mm. Do you think that that part of your story, the drugs, the partying, do you think that that defines you or that that is a piece of you? Oh, it's absolutely. Yeah, it's a piece. It's a a major part of it. I'm not who I am without it. It, This story isn't what it is without that aspect of it. Now, there are many times where I wound up in the hospital Mm -hmm. uh, because of using too much. Sure. Um, there are many times where I probably shouldn't have woken up the next day. Mm-hmm. And there are definitely things could have gone, um, I could not, could and should not be here with the amount of things that we did and I did. Mm-hmm. And, but I am. And there's a reason for that. And right. so I don't, you can't go back, I can't change it, but it's definitely made me who I am. Right. But. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it, it's it's part of me. Yeah, part of your story. I don't recommend people do what I've done. No, this isn't a, this isn't a promotion. <laughs> <laughs> we're not, we're not like, endorsing that, but I think yeah, for all no. of us, our story—it's who we are. Yeah, absolutely. So then, what? At what point did you say, "I want to transition from the delicatessen into," or at what point did you say? That enough is enough. That's why I really want to head into. So, to answer, I guess the best way to answer that question is there was many times for for a few years I would go to them and say that, you know, look, there's something that there's other. I don't think I'm going to be here forever, you know. And it just got mm-hmm. to the point where a lot of things in my life, it was like the boy who crawled cried wolf, and sure. you know, but I didn't have anything that I necessarily wanted to go to. I didn't know anything. Yeah. And the one thing I did. Uh, always have an interest in was, you know, film and, and writing and yeah. And so I had, uh, applied for, got accepted to the Los Angeles film school. I took a trip to Las Vegas and on part of that trip with my cousin was to go to LA, tour the school, meet with, uh, the people there. And I did. And after meeting with, with them and, you know, I had had to write, you know, a short and, and write some things and, and, 
got accepted. They were willing to accept me. I go out there. I loved, you know, it was in West Hollywood, literally. The film school. I thought you were right. going to say you were in a movie, and I no. was like, "You said I'm in Who am I sitting here with?" And uh, that was, you know, I had met with um, Maureen Toner, I think was her name, and she's like, "You have the look." She's like, "You got the feel." She's like, "You would do amazing out here." And at that point, I was already, you know, sixty something thousand in in student loan debt, you know, and I had that that I was just working and paying off. I was just starting to get ducks in a row, and. You know, the reality was that... To eat? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> not to... No, no not like I, like you would do. We're not... Jeez. I don't even eat duck. I mean, lamb I do, but definitely not duck. But, yeah, it was... The the reality had started to set in that, like, in order for me to do this, like, I would need to... Like, she had said, she's like, most... I asked if you could work out there. And she's like, I'll be honest with you. There's like, there are a few people that, that work and do this. It was a one-year immersion program. Okay. So you were literally on set or doing things, she said, about 18 hours a day. <clears throat> She's like, so there are a select few that somehow manage. She's like, but it's literally only a handful. So you would need to have a place to stay. And when I did the total cost of the school and everything, you know, it would have easily been, you know, 80000 You would need forty for the school and forty to live on because no matter anywhere in L.A. was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And that's when it was just like, oh, this thing that I – thought I wanted to do and try wasn't an option. Okay. And so I went back and just continued to work. And uh, over years it was, uh, but it progressively continued on. So I would still do the things. I would still go out and, and I would eventually get to the point where I was leaving parties and leaving people and doing drugs on my own, not even being surrounded. I was no longer in a scene with people. It got to the um, point that you It got to the point where I, I was there, but it was like as soon as I got something, I was like, all right, I need to get out of here because I'll do it on my own. Okay. And then at that point is when I really started to realize. So it was in 2015 where I you know, was unable to – I had a night where I was out. I had consumed, you know, a few bottles of wine, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Probably – you know, not quite an eight ball of cocaine. I was driving around. I was unable to go to work the next day. And I had told myself for time and time again, I can't even count the number of times that I told myself that I was done using drugs. I was done with that stuff. I didn't want to do it anymore mm-hmm. because I would get into such a depressed state. And the only thing I thought about was like, Matt, you're 30 something years old. You're a friggin' loser. Like, when are you going to stop this? Like, when are you going to grow up? And, and I couldn't. I would do it for a little bit. And then I would feel like, oh, I earned it or I deserved my, you know, I I, I earned the right, yeah, you know, and then I would, you know, go. And and so ultimately then I I had called, you know, the owner and says, you know, and texted him actually and said I couldn't, couldn't come into work. Um, I was still, you know, still had cocaine that I was using. I'm like, I just, I can't do it. And it was right around then that I finally, you know, and at that point I didn't, I was just embarrassed with who I was mm-hmm. at, at that age. The people that looked up to me, the you know, the, the way that, my, you know, you know, my friend's father and owner of the place, you know, must have thought of me what, you know, anyone, you know, who would have known as an employee would have thought of me. Sure. And then it was just, you know, the depressed state that I would go into. And every time that happened, every single time I, I needed to have something around and I didn't care. I would literally go to, you know, tr- take everything that I had. I would take the Xanax. I would take Valium. I would take Advil PM. I would drink as much liquor as I had to try and pass out in hopes that, like, you know, I would not wake up. Like, please, I just don't want to get up. It got to that point. And that was every time. 
every time that I was alone by myself, pacing around, lifting my carpet up for scraps or drugs that, you know, might have fallen on the floor or whatever, or trying to call up, you know, whoever I could. And, you know, at that point, I was the most disgusted. I, I was always with myself. And, you know, if I would have had more Xanax and more Valium and more Advil PM, I had taken everything I had at that point. You know, if there were more, I would have took it and, you know, it might not be here. So that was it for me and that's what led me down this path of okay I need to change who I am and in order for me to change who I am I need to leave everything behind because I can't be around it I can't be near it I can't be around anything at that point it had nothing to do with people it had nothing to do with my friends it had nothing to do with any of the people I was around it had to do with me and putting myself around anything that was you know I just didn't have the strength to do it and so then that's when I got Accepted. Uh, I, I looked in. It just came across my Facebook. The John Maxwell. Uh, you know, I knew I was. I knew I was a good leader. You know, I was getting better. I wasn't the best manager. Looking back now, uh, I definitely had a great deal of flaws. I cared. I some. I had leadership qualities. Qualities. I always wanted to to help people out. And I thought coaching and speaking uh, was a platform for me. I, I did well in public speaking scenarios, and and so I got. Paid for the the course on my own, took a a, um, a loan from my boss at the time, and got flew out to to Cal or Los Angeles. Or I'm sorry, Florida. Got my certification through the John Maxwell, you know, team as a as a coach, speaker, and trainer on leadership and coaching, and thought, you know what, this is it. I'm gonna start my own coaching business, and it's time for me to move on. And I walked away from everything in one week. I walked away from, you know, close to, you know, six-figure income, possible uh, future and share in, in a very profitable business and started on my own coaching business that I had no business doing and bought a house and moved in with my then-girlfriend all in the same week. Wow. And, you know, her question to me was like, well, how are you going to do this? I'm like, well, I've got my retirement. I had close to 50000 you know, that I had saved up and built up my own retirement and that was going to be my, my fail safe in the event. But my ego was always like, no, I could do anything. Yeah. And uh, it just didn't pan out that way. But that was how. That's how you stepped away. First of all, I just want to say thank you for being brave enough to share that story with me and with the listeners because I didn't realize in the conversations that we've had in the past that it got that deep and that it had gone that far. Um, yeah, it was, and a lot of it stemmed from, and so my, the whole journey on that was like trying to find out why am I, like I wanted to enjoy life and not be high. Like what happened to the person and the kid in my whole life? Like there were things that, you know, it happened in childhood. Uh, my, you know, my father had his, was a party animal, you know, and, and overcome his, his own demons in life. Yeah. And, you know, as was, if it wasn't for him, you know, I had an open relationship with my father. You know, yeah. and he was always like, look, Matt, when you're, when you're tired and you're done, that's the only time yeah. that you'll, and I was just tired. I was tired of feeling that way. I was tired sure. of looking that way, but, um, and I think maybe that's something we can explore in the next couple of weeks yeah. is I think we should maybe have a conversation about that and that in mindfulness, that need to escape and that, that search. Um, yeah. cause it's something that I recently, we've talked about that yeah. have decided to explore as well. So. Yeah, I think that that would be a really good topic for us to cover. So Yeah, that so was... I really appreciate you sharing that. Not a problem. That was the... this Figuring that out, mm -hmm. you know. It was everything before. It was me trying to fit in. Yeah. Wearing masks. Just 
yeah. put on one for everyone else. Not I didn't know who I was. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I had to walk I had to walk away from it all in order to find out who the hell I was. Yeah. I really really appreciate that. So thank you so much for being so Very open, so vulnerable. Um so I just want to say I've had the honor of meeting your wife. She's absolutely beautiful, stunning, mm-hmm. and a Thank really you. beautiful person on the inside as well from what I've seen her share. Um, she's a counselor mm-hmm. through Horizon, I yep. believe. Um, and I, you guys are recently married. Yep, June 1st, 2019. Um, how long have you guys been together? We have been together since 2000 and let's see, I moved out right. of there. I moved out of there. So 2013, October, 1st, kind of October 2013. Okay. Awesome. Well, congratulations. Somewhere on that. That was like kind of under the radar, and then it was really like official in 2014. Gotcha. That. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, congratulations, first of all. Thank you. Um, so what do you guys do to keep the spark alive in your relationship? Ooh, right now it's, uh, I'm, well, be honest as well, it's tough. I mean, it's tough mm-hmm. right now because I'm literally, like, Mondays I'm here from at 4 a.m. and I get home at, at 9. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's pretty much all the way with this industry. And we had a talk, we had a discussion about this, like me doing this. And, and I've, I, I, she has been a, just, uh, she's dealt with me mm-hmm. and in this journey. Yeah on trying to figure out who I am and the struggle and it has not been easy and she stood by me the whole way but and we had this discussion going in like the first year is going to be tough yeah and now we're it's like oh yeah when you talk about it's great now we're in it yeah and and it it is difficult and this is the tough stuff but Mm -hmm. we have tried to I've been able to coordinate so Friday's afternoons we've got together so we're there you know tonight we're going to go out we've kind of made like a date night and sometimes it'll involve like you know her family we have a kind of a tradition it's not every week but we go to this place called tony's um and we'll do that tony's is not our sponsor no props to tony's (laughs) (laughs) you could be tony's (laughs) absolutely oh girl listen yes and uh, (laughs) and then we've made i saw uh, a good friend and uh, a business colleague of mine, him and his wife, who they're going to be married soon. I saw that they had made a list of like coffee shops around the area, oh, and they cool. they go on Saturdays. They'll go and, and they'll explore. And I thought, you know what, that's something for us to do. Let's just go out and 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 just get coffee and and talk again and mm-hmm. just be with ourselves. And I have a very big family, so there's always shit going on. Yeah. And so it's one thing to be doing stuff, but it's another thing to be together. And so for us, we're learning how to keep that spark alive. Mm-hmm. Um. And can make it continue on, yeah. And I think doing scheduling things like that in, like Friday nights are, are going to be our nights, and okay. then Sunday mornings we're going to do our coffee thing. Whether some days it might just be sitting at home and having breakfast, or going out and, and doing some. So we try and do that and have that time for us. Absolutely, it's a, it's a big deal. Hmm. It's a big deal making time. Yeah, and if you don't schedule it, it, it doesn't happen. People are, and and we have like. Oh, well, you shouldn't have to schedule. No, you do, it's right? Yes, yeah. You schedule work, right? Yeah. You schedule appointments. You schedule meetings. Relationships are work. Yeah. Anybody who says that it should just come easy is full of it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you could end up like Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants that. Um, <laughs> jokes on me. Not at all. Um, <laughs> um, Anyway, no, I'm in a great relationship as well. So. Well, yeah, and we went over the what your relationship endured 
Absolutely. That, and we don't need to no. head into that anyways. Um, not to, not today. Eat your sheep. <laughs> <laughs> Keep looping it back to that. Um, no. So, so you also, in that time period, first year of marriage, you were like, hey, this is going to be a tough year because we're developing that first year. Mm-hmm. Let's throw in... A new business on top of that yeah. and rent a building and equipment and all that other stuff. Totally. So how is that going? Tell it's me going everybody awesome. knows about that. Yeah. Yeah, that was Mac Fitness. So I had I had gotten into coaching. I had taken a position because I had to make ends meet. I didn't want to rifle through all the money I had. I took a position with a you know, my mother had sent me something about a transformation coach. And I'm like, that's all about what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And it was, I'd always been involved in fitness. I took this position and it was, a, it was as a group trainer. It was a group in training, uh, a group instructor. Yeah. And I thought, okay, you know, whatever. It's going to pay me X. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. And I got in there and I saw fitness like I had never seen. I was a gym guy, right? So you're yeah. in the gyms, you're, you know, you're doing, you know, Typical, you know, macho gym stuff, bench and squat and, and all the, the bro signs. Your voice changed when you did that. Yeah, yeah. Squat. squat. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah you're a tough guy, you know yeah. what I mean? Very macho. Yeah. And in very much you're a way... you squat. Yeah. <laughs> no, I have. Okay. And I can't even do that. Um, and so, I just, for me, it was a different view of fitness. And I saw okay. what would be everyday people, gen pop, as we call it in the industry now, working out and then... What's it called? Gen, gen population. Oh, gen okay. Pop. Thank you. And... For everyone else. For everyone there. else that's not in, in the industry, but... I thought Jennifer was popping. <laughs> and I was like, who's Jennifer? Oh, who is Jennifer? No. Um, and it just, for me, it was a different view of, of health and fitness. And it opened my mm-hmm. eyes to everything and weight loss. And I, and I fell in love with the journey that these people were on. They would come in and it was a, a judgment-free zone. And they were able to, you know, do things that they you wouldn't see people doing in your conventional gym. Mm-hmm. And I just fell in love with it. And I was still doing my coaching, my mindset. And then I came to the realization that, like, the biggest thing that, that folks are missing when it comes to weight loss or change in general is handling it with the mind, dealing with the mind, overcoming the mindset. Because... Sure. If you've been overweight your whole life, chances are you've viewed and you've spoken to yourself as an overweight person and you identify as that. Sure. And in order to change, you've got to change your mindset. And so I fell in love with that, wanting to incorporate that into, you know, fitness uh-huh. and always, again, wanting to do my own thing, be my own boss, build my own uh, thing. Um, it was always on my mind. And then in October of 2019, we learned of, you know, my sister had breast cancer and it was just the harsh reality that okay man how long are you gonna wait and so Mm -hmm. I left Uh, we found that out in September and October I left started in my basement Mm -hmm. and a year later I opened the doors to the Mac Fitness that we are in right now right and it's it's definitely been a transition yeah and uh, my wife has been my supporting cast along the way dealt with everything Mm -hmm. And no, uh, life is good. Things are good. Uh, I I remember distinctly one time coming in before four in the morning, coming in the doors and just thinking, no matter what, if I don't become a multimillionaire and don't have the the, the vision that I have doesn't come to fruition, like I can do this 
and have be have this community be here and love exactly what I'm doing. Like it's absolutely love community, it. Right? We oh, talked yeah. about that earlier before we even started recording is we come to what we're doing for the community, for the people that we're meeting, that we're talking to, that the community that we're creating is what it's all about. So I love that. Yeah. Awesome. What are you hoping to accomplish with Mac Fitness? What are you hoping it becomes? So I want to put that out there in yeah, the universe. I want to be a, a one-stop shop for people, you know, and but different than than what other people might think. Like I, I love the food side of it. I know that it's one that I'm di- diving into. I have my certification as a fitness nutrition specialist. I'm working on a higher level uh, certification. As well, I've teamed up with Craving Time Meal Prep Service because uh, they one put out great meals and and two take the the prep out of it for people, which is the most difficult thing for people. But I want Mac Fitness to be a community of of like minded people, a place where people can come and and get everything they need from a health and fitness and a health and wellness standpoint. You can come here, you can get your workout in. Have a comfort, you know, functional type fitness where you're not. You maybe you're not going to come here and be a meathead, but you're going to come here. You're going to get in shape. You're going to feel better. You're going to look better. You're going to improve your livelihood, mm-hmm. and that's why I reached out to you with the yoga because I think part of that is yoga. I think meditation is vitally important. It's something I do every day, uh, as soon as I wake up or within the first half hour of waking up. Sure. And I want to be able to bring that to people where you can come in here, you can get your food, you can get a great workout, you can improve your mindfulness, you can let go and be the place, again, build a community mm-hmm. for people to come. And it will take the guesswork out of it. We'll take, you know, we'll, we'll show you how to work out. And we'll change your mindset. And that's why I coined, the, we take a whole person approach to change. And it's the one thing that I can say and speak about and teach about because I changed. I changed exactly. I changed everything about who I was. Yeah. And I didn't change the person, the personality. I'm me. Yeah. I just changed the things that I was doing, the direction that I was going in life, and the path that I was on. And I know that it's a very difficult thing to do, but it's absolutely worth it. You know, we all have a better version of ourselves. We all want to achieve that better version. And I want to be the place where people come to be that best version of themselves. Mm-hmm. And so that is the vision that I have for Mac Fitness from everything. You know, developing a mindset, a refuse to lose mindset, um, coming in here and giving it your, your 100%. Okay. If you were given $10 million to solve a world problem, what would you choose and why? <laughs> The problem that I would choose to solve is the love problem. What's the love problem? And I, th- it's, I think that four-letter word is the, the answer for everything. Okay. You've got $10 million. What are you doing with it? Uh, I'm going to do everything I can to teach people to learn to love themselves more. Love themselves. So start there. It's, you have to. I agree. I think that wholeheartedly if you if we can get people to love themselves mm-hmm. right i think that's the answer to all the world's problems right and i and, and how do you do that you, you've got to turn, learn and people have to be willing to to love themselves, to love themselves and to identify with the fact that if you and that's again going back to that book by don miguel ruiz like a person who comes from a place of love 
is not going to go out of their way to harm an individual, to hurt another person. I agree. I think all the hate that we have is in there's there's something there that you're not dealing with as an individual, something that you don't like about yourself. And I don't care who you are and how much money or how successful you are. If you treat another person Mm -hmm. a certain way, that's where it stems from. You know, I think love and understanding. Like we don't want to. Most people don't want to understand other people. Right. Well, that takes time. It's an investment as well. mm -hmm. So So if I had ten million dollars, which you know, is a decent amount of money, but it's not a great yeah. deal in today's day and age. But that would be, you know, what I would do with it because I think that mm-hmm. that would help out immensely. Yeah. I think that that's where everyone needs to start from. Yeah. Start with those love stickers on Make Impact yeah. on Yourself. Yes. Yeah. I like it. Awesome. Well, at this point, I think we will take a short break. Yeah, yeah, because that's what we do after segment B. Segment B is complete, (laughs) and then we will come back. All right. See you in the next segment. Yeah, thank you. Sweet. (laughs) Hey, guys. Welcome back to the Side Monkey Podcast. We just spent over an hour uh, discussing the life of Matthew Angelo Sobolski thus far. He's a chatty monkey. Yeah. (laughs) He's got a big story. Yeah. You have lived quite the life. So thank yeah, you for sharing. We didn't get into we got into some. We still have the book that uh Oh was yeah, able to you've written a book. Yeah, yeah. That's for another episode though. We got way too much time invested okay. in that one. Yeah. But thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. I guess all that. Yeah. You're like, eh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah. Um Yeah. But again, thank you so much for sharing all of that with us and with the listeners. It was a lot of information that I think is really valuable, and I think that I'm sure there are people out there that will identify with some of your story, and if they do want to reach out because of some of the things that you shared, how can they reach out to you again? So you can find me on Facebook, Matthew.Sobolski.7, or also on Facebook, MacFitness100, uh, Instagram, at MacFitness100, and you can email me, Matt, at macfitness100.com excellent as well yeah all very similar so thank you so much for that (laughs) I try to make it as easy as I can yeah and I didn't share too much today but if you do want to reach out to me you can reach me at Sakaski on Instagram S-A-K-K-A-S-K-I you can reach out to me on Facebook at Amanda Skorupski Muldoon or my email A.M-U-L-D-O-O-N-S-K-I at yahoo.com So, from there, where are we going to head next week? Mm. I think we are going to start getting into our mindful mobility topics, um, because that's really what we're here for. So now you know us, we've introduced ourselves, we've talked a lot about who we are, but let's get into the good stuff. What What we we eat. eat. Uh, Who we eat. (laughs) (laughs) Not to be awkward. No, no. <laughs> Keep your pets locked up <laughs> if you invite me over for dinner. Um, but yeah, <laughs> leading into that <laughs> great segue, <laughs> I'm really awkwardly good at that. Beautiful. Um, yeah, but we're going to talk about mindfulness when dealing with family and family when we're going through difficult times. So mm-hmm. what do you have to add to that? Yeah, it's going to be... One, good for you and I both to 
uh, talk about things other than ourselves. Oh, but we do. <laughs> we need to. We needed to. I think let people know who we are. Yeah. Um, but getting into the whole premise and the reason behind the podcast and why we're getting going, uh, I think it's going to be a great. It's a great start mm-hmm. to it, and I think it's something that can get easily lost until some of the things that we're going to discuss happen. Right. And Absolutely. It, and being present. And being available and being with those that we love. So I think it's going to be a very uh, insightful. Uh, you're definitely gonna, there's definitely going to be some takeaways from that, and just something that that every listener can can gain something from. So gain and identify with. I mean, that's the tough stuff. Those people are the ones who challenge us the most, right? The ones that oh, yeah. we're used to being around and who know us the best and know what our triggers are. So to be mindful when they're setting us off and sending us into our whirlwinds and setting off those monkeys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the tough stuff. Yeah, and to it's one thing to be there, it's another thing to be there. Yeah. And and so being able to break that down, I'm I'm very interested to to get your thoughts on it and your takes and and, and how to be more uh, mindful and present in those times. So, um we've got a number of good episodes coming up about 5,997 left because I think it was like 6,000 we're going to do or something like that. That was our estimate. Yeah. (laughs) So we're ready. We're ready to chat. I've got my lip gloss and my water all set. Awesome. (laughs) I've got coffee, a catheter, so I don't know. We're good to go. (laughs) To go to the bathroom and so we'll be all set. Alrighty. Well, thank you all so much for listening once again. And we really look forward again to hearing from you with your feedback, uh, what you have to say what you would like to hear from us. Again, please share your thoughts, ideas. And Matt, do you have a quote that you would like to share with us for today? I will go with uh, a simple one. We'll go with this one. I'm not necessarily sure the individual and what they're known for, uh, but the quote itself kind of ties into the last two episodes uh, that we went into, and that is, the world just wants your authentic truth. And that was the journey that I think both of us uh, have been on. We both shared our authentic selves. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing. If we could learn to be a little bit more of our authentic selves, we'll be much better off. Absolutely. All right. Thank you all so much. Have a great week. And we look forward to chatting with you next week. All right. Peace out. Peace out.